0: Where common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast.
1: I'll be the first
0: to admit that I love a little bit of Roundup in my life. A roundup in my life. Here now is your host. He is quite a character. His name is Jeff. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff. Jeff Eager. Hello and welcome to the Oregon Roundup Podcast. I am recording At about noon on March 16th, Thursday, I just wrapped up an interview with a guest that I am very excited that we can have here on the Roundup podcast, and that's Christine Drazen, who was, of course, the Republican candidate for governor in 2022, ran a strong race, ended up coming out on the short end of the stick by just a bit, talked to her about her meteoric rise through Oregon politics, that occurred in like five years time from the time she first got into the House of Representatives to the time she was running for governor and making national news. As someone who who was on the cusp, it appeared, of turning a deep blue state red. Last year, of course, that's not what ended up happening. It was a great conversation with Leader Drazen, and I think you will enjoy it. Before we get to that, just wanted to touch on a couple more things. I published this morning, so Thursday morning, a newsletter about Ron Wyden having received funds from Sam Bankman Fried and his family for quite some time, including his father, from his father, like 12 years ago, 13 years ago. I've been doing a lot of work, as you know, on this issue of the $500,000 donation to the Democratic Party of Oregon turns out that there's a lot more going on there and the stuff i did with regard to senator wyden kind of feeds into that it appears he's for a long time received money from from those folks and of course sam bankman fried used to be the ceo of ftx which is a cryptocurrency was a cryptocurrency firm that filed for bankruptcy last year sam bankman fried is charged with fraud including conspiracy to defraud election regulator, regulations at the federal level. If you haven't read that yet, hope you hope you do. It's kind of an important topic, I think. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, that information that I used in that piece is out there. It's on the Federal Election Commission website. But it's the kind of thing that I don't think anyone in Oregon, other than me, is going to cover for various reasons. And so hope you like it. If you like it, share it with people. And let's keep the focus on what's going on with those fishy donations to Oregon politicians from Sam Bankman freed at all. All right. So now I would like to welcome Christine Drazen as someone that anyone listening to this podcast probably does not need an introduction to. Christine Drazen was a state representative in Oregon here for a number of years. She was the minority leader for house Republicans. And then Quite famously, she ran for governor, gave it a really good race in 2022 in a three-way race, historic race in Oregon. Leader Drazen, welcome to the program.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here today.
0: It's great to have you. Thank you for your time. What got you into politics? If you could just kind of walk us through your entry and quick ascension into and through Oregon politics.
1: Yeah, I think that what is, what was my introduction to politics and my entrance into politics was not elected politics. It really was me coming from a rural community that was adversely impacted in a very big way by the policies that were coming down at the time around, you know, environmental issues that were just leaving people behind. And that was the environment I grew up in where, you know, communities were kind of crumbling around me and my own family was less stable than what they had hoped for. And they made this connection for me between what was going on locally and personally and the people that were elected to serve, but in fact were just making things worse. And so that kind of background, you know, that kind of life is what led me to want to see for myself whether or not the way my family looked at it was accurate. My family thought all politicians were rotten really did. The because of how it felt to sort of be under the thumb of Portland and Salem and, you know, not be from that part of the state. And so fresh out of college, basically, I applied to work among all of the new, you know, elected Republicans in Salem and had the opportunity to work for the House Majority Leader. At that time, Republicans had majority control. My start in politics. Really was as a staff person working in the caucus office, and I stayed in that role as a staffer for legislative leadership for about eight years. And ended my time there as chief of staff to Oregon Speaker of the House. You know where we went through five special sessions to rebalance the budget after nine eleven, and I really had the opportunity to to participate in a way, at a level, and in a way that gave me a really clear sense that the people who are elected to serve, some of them really, really do have the best interests of our state at heart. Maybe not always applied well. It's maybe not always executed well. And then others really are about self-interest and they really are about agenda. There really is, you know, if you don't have character when you come into elected office, you don't suddenly find it after getting a title. And I saw that as well as a staff person inside Salem. So I left that work after we had our first child, and you know decided I didn't want to see him actually grow up crawling on the floor of the house because I didn't have a life and and babysitters only work and nannies and daycares only work for so many hours and the legislative process doesn't work that way it sort of it never stops. I came on to Clackamas County and I worked locally and then it's really was a lengthy period before I get my toe back in in that way. I mean, I've been serving locally on my planning commission, doing things locally, volunteering locally, all the things you do. But then my own state rep, his name was Bill Kennemer, He retired. And I had some friends say, hey, would you ever consider running yourself? And that really was my first consideration of elected office, which was, you know, to your point, a very, very fast ride, so to speak. I came into the House at a time that the Democrats had supermajorities, and they were anxious to take their supermajorities for a spin. So it was all very high stakes. It was all very aggressive. Single party control was just an ugly experience. You know, watching people who had that much power just casually exert it without any accountability to the people that that were going to be impacted by their policies was just. A stark difference from when I left the building all those years ago as a staff person. I mean, we had divided government. My prior experience had divided government when I was a staffer. And Republicans were in majority control to both the House and the Senate, strong majorities at that time. And in the middle office and executive branch was the opposing party. You You had John Kitzhaber in his first and second terms during those years. And so there was, by the nature of the division of government, we had to negotiate, and he vetoed quite a bit in the beginning, less towards the end as negotiations became the norm and kind of less confrontational, more working together towards the end of his term there.
0: It seems to me that the, the tone and tenor of Democrats in Oregon changed pretty significantly from the 90s and the early-mid-2000s, even the early 2010s, when Republicans were competitive and at times, as you mentioned, actually had a majority, as difficult as it is to believe, in the Oregon legislature, to where they they are now. Did you sense a difference from the time that you were a staff person in the House and Republicans were at least competitive and actually in the majority to when you came back in as a member and you were in the super minority?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing that your listeners should know (laughs) is— Gerrymandering is cheating. And when you gerrymander your legislative districts and you know what you're going to get on the other side of the election, it creates a sense of entitlement. And that sense of we deserve to get our way and your perspective is not valid here just permeated the leadership level conversations that I was a part of in that time. And the opportunity to compromise was not acceptable. It it wasn't even appropriate in their thinking. They really went in and said, our majorities are big enough. You have no right to propose any amendments that we should ever consider. You know, And even if it's technical in nature, even if the core functions of this legislation are going to remain and you're going to be a no, it's going to strengthen the legislation. Unless you're a yes and vote against your own core values, we're not even going to entertain your amendments. And that sense of, as I mentioned earlier, the casual exertion of power, I think does flow from this sense of entitlement.
0: And you definitely picked that up. And I think it's that kind of mentality is what made Kate Brown, even though she's not in the legislature, but kind of the figurehead for Democrats here for a long time, made her the least popular governor in the country, among other issues, and obviously brought in a raft of bad statewide policies. Well, let's fast forward a little bit, Leader Drazen, to your race for governor, to the really juicy stuff. And starting at the beginning, what what caused you to get into the governor's race? As I recall, there were already some Republicans in the race. You were, compared to some of the others, a relatively late entrance or entrant, rather. What caused you to pull the trigger on that race?
1: You know, everybody that engages in support of, you know, Oregon, broadly, gets to kind of look in the mirror and say, what can I do? How can I make things better? And I wanted to personally stand up for people. I personally wanted to be a part of turning our state around. And running for governor was a really big decision. And I had people encouraging me to run. I had the support of my family. And also, I had a very, very strong commitment to do absolutely everything I could to help turn our state around, our state is in a terrible position right now. It's in a terrible, dire position right now with single party control and the effects that that's had for public policy and real life consequences in people's in people's communities and jobs and everything else. And balance helps improve that, you know. And certainly accountability in Democrat majorities would help improve that. I wanted to be a part of helping turn our state around
0: during the campaign. What were some things that stood out to you? I'm sure you you enjoyed meeting lots of Oregonians, talking with lots of Oregonians. What are maybe a, a thing or two that happened to you that, or you did during the campaign that would be a surprise to our listeners?
1: The campaign was really powerfully personal, and when I say that, I mean that people that I spoke to, whether or not you know, it was downtown Portland or Lakeview. People felt deeply personally engaged in the outcome of that governor's race because they care as much about the future of the state as I do. They don't want Portland to struggle and remain in decline and and really continue to enable a homeless population that needs accountability and support, not just tents and the ability to continue to use drugs. They felt it no matter where I was in the state and people's personal stories and the level of commitment to be a part of helping our state improve and get better together was really really extraordinary. I mean it was it was more than anything else just very humbling. Every single day woke up grateful that I had the opportunity to get out again and have conversations with fellow Oregonians about the future of our state and what do we what do we want for our future? And people as it turns out they want a lot of the same things they want safer communities they want stronger schools they want to be able to afford to live here they want to be able to afford to you know someday own a house or keep their house if they're senior citizens and that was not you know partisan the most of the conversations i had were really quality of life conversations about what are we going to do about our state
0: no absolutely and there there certainly was a time there say beginning of october when it seemed like it was all coming together for a major upset in deep blue Oregon, and then things kind of changed, and unfortunately you ended up coming out on the on the short end of the stick in that race. If you could play Monday Morning Quarterback a little bit, why do you think you came up just a little short in that race?
1: In the end, Tina Kotek had the opportunity to raise eight million dollars plus more than I could. And she flooded the airwaves with misinformation and outright lies about what was at stake in this race and what was true. And without the funds to be able to compete against that and you know set the record straight for Oregonians, they bought into it. And she scared people and she, she went out there determined to push people back into their corners and really create the most divisive environment that she possibly could. Because that was really the only way that she could convince people to ignore their everyday lives and ignore what it feels like to live here, and really vote about their issues around national politics or, or other issues that in fact weren't in play in the in the gov out of the governor's office. And she was successful in doing that. And I mean, you know, third-party candidate Betsy Johnson uh, raised more than seventeen million dollars, almost exclusively from Republican donors. And when it was time to close out the race, there was just no, there were no more opportunities to go and compete at that level. You know, as we all know, that ended up with a result for the third party candidate that was, you know, less than what Chris Telfer pulled uh, when she ran as a third party candidate. And that money just was not available at the end to be competitive.
0: It definitely did dry up the, the funding available for, for you as the Republican nominee that would that would normally be there. I want to be sensitive to your time, Leader Drazen, and we're just about out of it. If you could share with the audience, what what are you doing now and what is it that you'd like to do? I think many of us are hoping you're not done with politics, but wouldn't blame you if you are.
1: I am doing everything that I can to just continue to kind of find out where I can make a difference in our state and continue to stay engaged. The answer about whether or not, you know, politics is in my future you know, whether we like it or not, politics is a part of everyday life for all of us. Just, we don't always acknowledge it. You know, you get in your car, you pay high gas prices, you're directly impacted by what's going on politically. Price of eggs or milk. We all know that. For me, whether or not that translates into elected office in the future or pursuit of elected office in the future, I am not, I'm not committing one way or another on that. But I can tell you, I've got fight left in me and I and I love the state uh, now more than I ever have and I believe in the future of this place and I certainly believe in Oregonians themselves and their ability to be able to create a better future and the only way we're actually going to see that is if we continue to have these conversations and have these tight races and have a real real debate and discussion around what do we want for our future It's my hope that for the next person that that takes on responsibility to run for whatever office that might be, that Oregonians really do take them at their word and say, okay, will they, in fact, serve in our best interest? Is this a part of what we need to move forward in a way that achieves more balance and more nuance in our public discussions and our public life? Our civic life is a responsibility of all of us, not just people with titles. It really does fall to all of us to engage authentically and to engage in a way that actually leads to better outcomes in our, not just in our elections, but even in what happens in our local communities. I think that it's a wait and see for me. And I'm more than happy to circle back up. And when there's a little bit more clarity on that, but I can tell you I'm still engaged and I'm still participating and involved.
0: Well, I will definitely take you up on that circling back when you can break whatever news about whatever is next here on the Oregon Roundup podcast. Leader Drazen, thank you so much for your time and thank you for your sacrifice for our state. We all share your view that politics affects all of us and maybe here in Oregon more than any other state just because of how extreme the policies have been here. I want to thank you for for serving your state and for coming on the air with us today. Yeah,
1: thank you, Jeff. It was a pleasure.
0: I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. Leader Drazen during the campaign was always a measured voice. And I think you can tell that that wasn't just a, an affect put on during the campaign. In many ways, I think the appropriate affect, the appropriate approach or a good, a good personality fit for the race in which her job and the Republicans' job overall was to try to convince Oregonians to set aside their national partisan views and to focus on the issues that are affecting Oregon, like homelessness, like crime, taxation, really bad schools, and all that other stuff that really doesn't have a partisan aspect to it. And unfortunately, Leader Drazen came up came up short, of course, and now Tina Kotec's governor. And it sure looks like we are just back doing Kate Brown 2.0. At this point, she's one of her big initiatives is to spend some ungodly amount of money, I think it's $200 million or something, on housing and for the homeless. We've tried that. We've tried throwing money at housing. We've tried throwing money at, at homelessness. We are where we are with it, which is an unsatisfactory outcome. There's polling out now about Kotec's approval rating. She's actually less popular now at this stage in her governorship than Kate Brown was at this stage in Kate Brown's governorship. 43% of Oregonians have a negative view of Tina Kotak. There is no, from a polling standpoint, there is no honeymoon for Tina Kotek, which shouldn't be too surprising given just the dynamics of that race, where she won a relatively narrow victory in a three-way race in which two of the three were adamantly opposed to the status quo and Tina Kotek was for the most part in favor of it and she is governing in that fashion as well. If you read the media, most of the media in Oregon, they still and probably will continue to have glowing coverage of Tina Kotek that is definitely not in keeping with how how upside down she is in the polls, the number of scandals that are already affecting her administration from the OLCC bottle thing to this Democrat Party of Oregon donation I keep mentioning. There's, there's a lot going on here, and if, if you didn't like the way Oregon was governed under under Kate Brown, it sure looks like it's going to be more of the same under Tina Kotek, which isn't a surprise to any of us that have been paying close attention to it. From my standpoint, unfortunate that Christine Drazen came up a little bit short in that race. I want to thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Oregon Roundup podcast on your podcast app of choice, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Give us a five-star review. I see that we have one, but I didn't queue it up on my phone, so I'm not going to read it today. I will read it next week. If you give us a five-star review, I will read that review on the air as I will the one that we've gotten and it helps other people find us, helps other people learn about the coverage that we're performing here in Oregon which Not to toot my own horn is unique, I think, and I think it's valuable, and I think it adds to the type of debate that we should be having in this state, which is a balanced debate in which information from all sides is part of that debate instead of just listening to one side of the aisle all the time. If you haven't subscribed to the Oregon Roundup newsletter and podcast, you can do that at oregonroundup.substack.com. If you're not a paid subscriber, you can become a paid subscriber there as well. I appreciate it when you do that because it helps me justify spending the time I spend doing all this stuff to keep information flowing out there of the type that I don't think gets provided by anyone Again, tooting my own horn. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at OregonRoundup.substack.com.